Well, good evening, Virginia. <laughs> it is a blessing and a privilege, and I thank you, Dean, and, and you for your invitation to me to share in this commemoration of 20 years of faithful witness to community and communion for our Anglican communion. And I thank you and thank God for the witness and ministry of this center and of this seminary and pray God's blessing on the center and on you, on our church and on the world in which we live. It's good to be here. Now, now I hope you all are good, glad to be here. <laughs> if you're not, I'll be sure to share that with your bishops when I see them all. <laughs> Well, allow me, if you will, just to share a few reflections on the, the gospel that you just heard um, in light of the fact that, that we will dedicate um, these remarkable windows. And I had the opportunity to read Dean Markham's sermon um, about this cruciform church shaped in the image and shape of Jesus Christ and these Trinitarian windows. And you can now actually seeing them I can actually see, I'm going back to seminary, so I may be a little bit off base. It's been a long time. But if I remember correctly, the incarnation is the work of the Trinity, of the triune God. Did, did I get that right? If you see that on a GOE, you got it. It's easy. It's a piece of cake. <laughs> that this Jesus who is sent into the world then sends his followers out, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. So allow me, if you will, just to reflect briefly on a text from the first chapter of Mark that may lead us into the gospel from the sixth chapter. And you know this text well. As Jesus passed the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. You've been catching fish. Follow me and I'm going to make you more than you ever thought or dreamed you ever could be. You've been catching fish but I'm going to take your gifts and your capacities and even your limitations and your fragility. Follow me and I am going to magnify who you are because you will do my work. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you the people of God. Follow me and I will make you the body of Christ. Follow me and I will show you a way of love that the titanic powers of hatred, death, and hell cannot stop. Follow me and I will show you how to change this world from the nightmare it often is into the dream that the triune God has had from the beginning. Follow me. Now, if y'all need clarification on the subject this evening, It, follow me. Because it dawned on me earlier this week, because I wondered where this text came from. I knew it came from Mark, but 
I looked at it, and it, it's the one, you know, where, where Jesus sends the disciples out. It's kind of like their internship. <laughs> it's like a field work assignment, and, and he kind of sends them out. Um, but, but instead of sending them out with, with men, mentors and um, with a little stipend, I don't know if they give stipends anymore. Um, they were very little when I was in seminary. But anyway, they, he sends them out, and he says, take no bag, take no sandal, don't take anything. Travel light. If folk receive you, shout glory, hallelujah. And if they don't, keep on walking. And then he says, but proclaim to them the kingdom of God has come near you. Proclaim, repent for the kingdom of God. The good news is here. Heal the sick. Cast out the demons. And if you can get away with it, raise the dead. And I, I knew all of that, and I, and I knew it in, in its parallel versions in the other gospel. But what hadn't dawned on me until I looked at it in the context, that your seminary professors are right about that, context really does help. <laughs> when I looked at it in the context of what preceded it in Mark's gospel, I realized that you have the command to, to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, follow me, Right? And then you can imagine them with him when the text says he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Now repent and walk into the way of God's dream and God's vision and not in the way of the world's nightmare. Turn around and repent. Hear the good news. I got a feeling some of them were with him when he healed Peter's mother-in-law. I would presume Peter was there. I got a feeling some of them were with him when, when he didn't just heal a leper from afar, but he actually touched somebody who hadn't been touched by anybody in a long time. I got a funny feeling they were around and with him when he cast out the demons. That brother, the Gerizim demoniac. Remember, that's the one where he cast out the demons and sent them into the pigs? See, I, I have a theory that had Moses... And Jesus had the opportunity to have North Carolina barbecue. <laughs> they would have altered the law and some of those <laughs> commandments. But, but they didn't have that advantage. And so you remember he cast them out. They saw the devils cast out, the demons cast out. They saw folk getting healed. They saw lives being changed. They saw intimations of a world being changed from the nightmare human selfishness has made of it into the dream that God's love intends for it. And then in chapter 6, our gospel, he sends them out. All along, they've been following him. And now he sends them out. And this is the part that really did kind of get to me. I know my shoelace is untied, but don't worry about it. It'll be all right. <laughs> if I go down, just lay hands on me and I'll rise up. <laughs> but, but, the, but the truth is, he, he sends them out. And all along, there's been that resonance of that refrain, follow me. As he heals Peter's mother-in-law, follow me. As he touches the man with leopard, follow me. As he casts out the demons, follow me. As he proclaims good news, follow me. As he invites folk to repent and turn into a new, follow me. And then he sends them out to live as simply as he lives. He sends them out. And then I saw it. 
He sends them out to do what he was doing in the world. Heal the sick. Cast out the demons. And proclaim the kingdom, the reign of God has come near. Do you see it? It's not their work. They couldn't heal nobody. In fact, the truth is, these, these first followers of Jesus, this was not the, forgive me for saying it, but the, the first disciples, they were not the A-team of apostolic discipleship. <laughs> I mean, let's just get real. This was not the gang you wanted to count on to get a movement going. Um, and, and on their own, they could not do it. But he was sending them out to learn the spiritual practice, as Archbishop Oscar Romero said, of not trying to be messiahs, but being ministers to be prophets of a future that is not their own. He was sending them out on his mission as his movement. I knew y'all knew I was going to get Jesus' movement in here somewhere. <laughs> as his movement. And that's how they became more than they ever dreamed they could be. See, the, the, the God has had a way and I'm going to sit down in a minute, but God has had a way of doing this kind of thing for a long time. If you go back to the third chapter of Exodus, there's that story where Moses, y'all remember Moses, right? You are in the seminary, you should know Moses. I'm, I'm, anyway, Moses, remember, he climbs Mount Sinai and he sees, you know, he sees the burning bush and you know the whole story. The Hebrews are slaves in Egypt. Moses has escaped and he's got all the ambiguity of, of, of having a bicultural heritage. He's both a child of slaves and a child of the free folk. I mean, he's got all this confusion going on inside. I mean, he's a John Paul Sartre dream of confusion. And, and there he is on Mount Sinai working out his personal issues and trying to figure out what to do about the Hebrews who are still in Egypt. And you remember, he, hears, he sees the bush ablaze and the voice from the bush, Moses, Moses, take off the shoes from your feet for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And then the Lord says to him, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt because of their taskmasters. I have seen their sufferings. I have experienced their afflictions. And now I have come down to deliver them. And then the text says, now I will send you to Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, I, don't, I need to be careful because this could be a moment of heresy. <laughs> but the rabbis call it midrash. But let me just read between the lines of that conversation between Moses and the Lord. I have a funny feeling Moses was having some thoughts while the Lord was talking. And, 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 and since, you know, we pray, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known from whom no secrets are hid, we know God was listening to Moses' inner thoughts. And, 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 and I think Moses was probably saying, Dean, Lord, I thought you said you heard the cry. And I thought you said of your people, I thought you said you had seen their affliction because of their taskmasters, and I don't mean to be impertinent because you are the Lord, I understand all that, but if you heard the cry of your people who are in Egypt and you came down from heaven to set them free, how come I got to go to Pharaoh? <laughs> right? 
And, and, and if you look to the text and listen to the dialogue between Moses and the Lord in Exodus 3, you see this back and forth between them until finally the Lord says, Moses, don't worry about it. I will be with you. It's finally dawned on me that that's not God just comforting Moses and patting him on the back and saying, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. That's God telling him, I will be with you when you say, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go. Your words will be my word. I will be with you when you take that staff into your hand and cast it down and challenge the snakes and the evil of Egypt. I will be with you when you do your Montgomery boycott, which the Bible calls the plagues on Egypt. Oh, I will be with you when you engage in the civil disobedience of the place. I will be with you when you're trapped at the Red Sea with the people. I will part the sea when you do my work. Dr. King once said, you'll have cosmic companionship and you will not be alone. I think that's what Jesus was teaching those first disciples. The spiritual practice of doing his work, of preaching his gospel, is not our gospel. It's not our work. It's not our church. It's not our movement. It's his. And when we do that, as the Great Commission says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I'm going to sit down now, but these children have got my attention. Oh, I love it. Keep playing. Keep playing, little ones. Keep playing. Because I, I happen to, I mean, I, I like, members of, of the staff know that I like, I watch Animal Planet. And I'm not a highfalutin guy. I don't, I'm not a PBS sort of dude. It's like, I watch Animal Planet and... I grieve because there's nothing on TV tonight on Monday night. There's no football, you know, that kind of thing. But I love Animal Planet Discovery Channel because I love the shows about the animals because if you really want to understand people, watch animals. <laughs> it, it's, it's really, yeah. You say Darwin was right. We are connected. Um, and one time, this was a few years ago, there was a show about a mother bear, and it was kind of showing how this mother bear, um, you know, raised her cubs and nurtured them, if you will, or we would say formation, um, uh, she would form them into bearhood, and it kind of showed how she did it, and it really was fascinating to watch, and the little bear cubs, you know, they were with mama, and they were learning how to be little bears from mama. Um, interesting, by imitating what mama did. Hmm, I wonder if Jesus had that in mind. Anyway, they were learning how to be little bears by imitating what, what mama did, and um, everything was going along fine, but then this one little bear cub, who was having a good time with his brothers and sisters, decided, you know something, I'm going to go play by myself. And this little bear cub just kind of galloped off and was having a good time out just playing, and he was just running and jumping and, oh, just having a, a wonderful time. And, and all of a sudden, it dawned on him, mama bear wasn't around. And brother and sister bear, they weren't around either. And then he looked, and off in the near distance, he saw this wolf. And the wolf had noticed that mama bear and brother and sister bear were not around too. And little bear cub all of a sudden knew he was in trouble. 
And you could see him, you could actually see the expression on the animal on his face was like, oh, I am in trouble now. And, and the wolf kind of came forward. And, and I knew he was an Episcopalian because he made the sign of the cross and said, thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. <laughs> and, and the wolf came forward and little bear cub kept going back. And the wolf came forward some more. The bear cub went back. Wolf came forward some more. Bear cubs came back. And then finally the wolf came forward, the bear cub came back, and he ran into a tree. And he knew he was trapped. He knew he was in trouble. And it was like you could see in his mind, like you sometimes, you know, it's sometimes helpful. I know it's not the theologically most sophisticated thing to do, but when you got, got to make a decision, sometimes it doesn't hurt to say, you know, what would Jesus do? <laughs> and, and so the little bear cub asked the bear equivalent, not what would Jesus do, but what would mama do? And you could see all of a sudden he figured out what to do. And, and he got up on his little haunches and raised his little paw and he went, wow! <laughs> and the wolf did the exact same thing you just did. He just laughed. He just thought it was so cute. It was just wonderful. And the little bear cub got up and get, did it one more time. And the wolf just giggled and laughed, and you could actually you could see the wolf almost on the ground, rolling on the ground. And one last time, the poor little bear cub got up on his haunches and went, and this time, the wolf, instead of laughing at the cub, had a look of utter and sheer terror on his face. And he ran away. And the little cub didn't know what happened. And you could kind of see him beginning to puff up. Wow. And little bear looked behind the tree. And behind the tree was mama bear. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, you got a mama bear. We got a mama bear. We are not in this business alone. We've got a God. This Jesus is for real. He really did come among us. He really did die. He really did rise from the dead. And he's coming again for that great getting up morning. As the old folk used to say, this stuff is real. And if God is real, then I can make it. And if it is God's work, and Jesus' movement, come what may, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. God love you. God bless you. And may God hold us all in those almighty hands of love. Amen. Amen. Oh. <laughs>